0: The reading of the scriptures from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, reading chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, I invite your reverent uh, attention and hearing of God's uh, word here from Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship
1: Uh, much about our culture is uh, accreditations and dealing with uh, credentials, some manner of form. Uh, I know some of you are members of professions and you have credentials that uh, you must uh, present perhaps before people. Um, I remember when I was in business... Um, I worked through a quality control program and applied for this uh, international organization to come and accredit us. Um, And then not only did they give us accreditation, but they said, well, we must come back every year and affirm that you uh, are still following our standards. So great credential, but always having to renew. Uh, Continual renewal. And so you might ask yourself, uh, what are the credentials of... Uh, Grace Bible Church, or the credentials of a certain individual? And uh, perhaps I'll try to answer that question, but I want to look at uh, the credentials of the great Apostle Paul uh, in the first five verses, and I'm not so sure he doesn't give to us a measure of our own credentials in verses uh, 6 and 7. Uh, our text is... Uh, Uh, Greetings on behalf of uh, Paul uh, to uh, the church at Rome, where, as I suggested, he's going to establish his credentials, because he's never been there before. And he's going to speak to them about uh, the gospel concerning uh, the Son of God. and his calling to bring about the obedience of the faith uh, among the Gentiles. And essentially, uh, that is a beautiful list of his own credentials in terms of who he is representing and uh, what he is going to do in the church with respect to his credentials. Uh, The the epistle before us this morning was written from uh, Corinth, Uh, towards the end of uh, the third missionary journey, uh, roughly sometime around uh, A.D. 57. Uh, Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, and ultimately he wants to go to Rome. Uh, We also know from Rome he wants to go to Spain. I don't know whether he ever got to Spain or not. Some people uh, affirm and believe that he did, but nevertheless we know that that's his desire. Uh, The church is uh, composed of a number of house churches, mostly of Gentiles, uh, but we also know that there were some uh, ethnic Jews uh, in the congregation. I happen to believe uh, that the theme of uh, the book is uh, the righteousness of God and his plans and eternal purposes in saving and transforming his people based upon his righteousness. Uh, Perhaps a far greater scholar than me, Douglas Moo, um, holds that the theme of the book is the gospel. And certainly uh, Moo could very well be correct. But I believe it's the righteousness of God. And Paul, uh, in this epistle, will set forth the need we have of that righteousness. It's provision in Jesus Christ, it's practice, it's expectation, it's vindication, and of course, it's application. Most people uh, see a measure of the theme in verses 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and as it is written, But the righteous man shall live by faith. Uh, because uh, Paul has not been to Rome, he's going to set forth uh, the credentials of his divine call and the nature of his calling in verses 1 to 5. And then verses 6 and 7, greet the church. So what are his credentials? He's going to a place he's never been. He's going to, I think rightfully so, explain to them who he is and what he is about. Uh, his credentials are in the three parallel identifiers in verse 1. He's a servant of the Messiah, who is Christ. He's a servant. Called an apostle. The uh, very interesting, the cognate of the calling is uh, speaks to the effectual call uh, of God, in this case, in the designation of an apostle. And he's set apart for the special purpose of representing the gospel of God. Set apart. Uh, compressed form of, of the credentials that he brings uh, to the church. Uh, as a reminder, uh, perhaps even uh, an allusion to Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 15 and 16, uh, Paul uh, writes to the Galatians, But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Set apart by God. Before he had even been born. To reveal his Son to the Gentiles. So pretty spectacular credentials when you recognize his credentials are all from God. Divine work set apart before he'd even been born to reveal the Son, the majesty of the Son. Uh, that text is, is perhaps you, uh, might also know is, is an allusion to uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, the calling of the prophet. Uh, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not in the sense of cognition, because as you know, God knows all things actual and possible in one eternal moment. It's a, it's a sense of of, uh, that God is going to save and purpose the prophet. A special knowledge uh, that uh, that God is going to set upon the prophet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, and I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Paul is relying uh, on that text. It's an analogy, if you will, by use of the Old Testament of uh, the calling of the Apostle Paul. So that, uh, in that sense, uh, Paul has a divine imprimatur uh, to speak to the Roman church and to our church because his call is divine. It's also important to recognize that a uh, very powerful element of Paul's credentials is that he specifies in verse 2 uh, the nature of his gospel. That's radical applications for our day in the sense that uh, many American churches believe that everyone is saved. Uh, we just need to be reminded that we are. Uh, the Apostle Paul would not agree with that at all. And that's why he's going to be, speak very specifically to the nature of his gospel. Of course, many people say, well, I don't, I don't need the gospel. Because they don't recognize that the righteousness of God will bring them under judgment with an eternal standard, a perfect standard of his righteousness. And so they are a very affront to God. And at this moment in time, they may care nothing about the righteousness of God, but it will come to be their judge. And that too is a qualifying reality of the Apostle Paul. If indeed his theme is the righteousness of God, we will discover our need for it in the rest of the book and as well the divine provision of it by sovereign grace. Because what God expects of us, he has to provide, and he does provide in sovereign grace. First, uh, the gospel he represents is consistent with that proclaimed uh, by all of the prophets of the Old Testament. So his content is going to be the same. And I would remind you, as uh, is just to do so, uh, if a church messes with the content of the gospel, they are in profound danger. Because God uh, calls the apostle, and he calls us to be messengers. And messengers do not mess with the message. So the content of the gospel is extremely important. And Paul is saying my content is consistent with that of the Old Testament prophets. In that sense, he brings nothing new. Often tell people in the church, if you find me doing something new, I am in error because there is nothing new. Nothing at all that's new with respect to the content of the gospel. Uh, second, uh, the gospel is about God's Son, uh, specifically Jesus our Lord, uh, that he is, uh, he is King Messiah. Uh, it's very critical, I think, if you look at your text in verse 3. Concerning his Son. It's a very defined and specific gospel reference. concerns his Son. Paul's credential, he represents uh, the Son of God, the eternal King who is now ruling, having established his spiritual kingdom. Uh, Very important conceptual uh, parallel here, I believe, uh, to a couple of messianic psalms. Psalm 2.6. God the Father answers, answers People who are in rebellion against his son. They're in rebellion, so God's going to answer their rebellion. This is what he says. But as for me, I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. The installation is perpetual. It cannot be undone, because the installation is divine. It's also eternal. And then perhaps I believe the purest of all the messianic psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1, the psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool of your feet. So again, Paul is affirming this reality in verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul here affirms that our Savior came from the royal line of David. It is implied uh, that though eternal, he assumes human nature. still has a divine nature, but he assumes human nature. This, as, uh, as uh, you should know, is uh, an allusion to a number of Messianic texts. Namely, that our Savior is in the royal line of uh, David, promised by God the Old Testament prophets. Let's turn to... Second uh, Samuel, uh, chapter seven, verse 16. Uh, God is uh, speaking to David about his kingdom, and your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever, an eternal throne now occupied. By Jesus Christ. Thrones are occupied by kings and queens. In case of the eternal throne, King Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Isaiah chapter 11. Again, we're establishing that Christ is in the royal line proclaimed in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Again, stem of Jesse from David, a perpetual kingdom. It's important to recognize now that we're in a phase of that kingdom that is spiritual as our king is gathering his people. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. Occurring as we speak. From the great eternal throne of God himself. Uh, Lastly, a couple passages from uh, the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. Read a couple of verses beginning in verse 23. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. That eternal shepherd is our Savior. Uh, in the ancient Near East, uh, kings were oftentimes referred to as shepherds as they led their people. We have an eternal shepherd who leads us, uh, who has in his sovereign grace and power conquered us and won us to himself. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. And my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd, and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. You know, much of this is written in the context of the failure of ethnic Israel. God's going to fix that. How does he fix it through his son, the one great, true, only shepherd of the sheep of God? And this promised intervention from uh, the Old Testament prophets uh, has occurred in the coming of Christ. Uh, And this too is clarified in that God declared him king and son from the resurrection of the dead in power. That this cosmic event of the coronation, enthronement, investiture by God, the Father on God the Son, is displayed in the power of the resurrection. A resurrection that's also according to the spirit of holiness that uh, our god uh is is the trinity our god the father our god the son god the spirit uh, our uh, our savior was uh, taken up in into heaven in a measure of obscurity but in the outpouring of the spirit of holiness it becomes a publicly known seen watched event Occurs certainly in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit is poured out in powerful display of the shaking of the creation in evidence of the cosmic reality of heaven's unveiling of Messiah. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Joel now is going to be fulfilled. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit upon all mankind. The last days have begun and inaugurated by the resurrection of King Messiah. Now known publicly in an investiture in the outpouring of the Spirit. That's why, very interesting, if you know, in our study of Acts, uh, some of the people that were listening to this sermon now understand who Christ is and they cry out, what shall we do in light of who Christ is? A great reminder of who our Savior is. Uh, Douglas uh, Moo refers to... Uh, Uh, these these texts as, and I quote him, an impressive accumulation of Christological titles defining who our Savior is. Credentials of the Apostle Paul. I will tell you uh, in an indirect sense the credentials of this church because we believe the written record of who our Savior is. Greg Beal states uh, that the resurrection has launched an eschatological stage of his messianic rule, namely his ascension into heaven from whence he will conquer uh, our enemies and bring us to himself in sovereign grace and power. It means that the central focus of human history and life is decisively Jesus Christ. Always uh, somewhat amused. Sometimes I fall prey to this myself. Oh, woe is me. Um, we've elected someone that I don't like. Or Oh, woe is me. Um, this person gets reelected whatever the case might be. I have to always catch myself. The substantive matter of all rule is in Jesus Christ, whose purposes cannot be thwarted, whose ends cannot be derailed or denied. And that's our Savior. It, of course, means that the eschatological kingdom foretold in the Old Testament has started. And nothing can stop it. Started in the investiture of our Savior, the right hand of God the Father, uh, and then publicly proclaimed by the Great Spirit. Application uh, for each of us. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. reading verses 9 to 11. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even the enemies of Christ will make that confession. I I trust you have made it by faith Uh, Having recognized your need for righteousness, you flee to that righteousness which is had only in the Son. It means that we should uh, should hear, we should hear uh, this King. Uh, We should obey this King and follow this King because it's an implicit warning not to disregard or to trifle with him. Reminded of uh, the words of Psalm 2. um, Kiss the son. lest he be angry and you perish. Because of who he is. Because he secures our destiny, he engages our service. And those, again, cryptic, expressions of the credentials of the Apostle Paul. And in a derivative sense, our credentials at Grace Bible Church. We know no other Savior, nor other way of salvation. We know uh, no other king in the sense of an eternal kingdom. They will endure forever. They will continue to conquer uh, and one day become visibly known for us. And of course, uh, all of us in our hearts pray that it would come quickly. Uh, reverse of this, of course, is a, is a man-centered gospel. That God comes to make us happy, to give us things, to uh, buy our allegiance, our faith, and our loyalty, to play some type of cosmic Santa Claus. No, he comes as the one eternal king uh, to save his people, to gather them. And then he will come and make war against all of his enemies. It's not really what what can God do for me, but what can I do for him? I think one of the things we struggle with as Americans, uh, a part of it from uh, our form of government. Uh, we, uh, as you know, we go on occasions, I trust you do, we, we go and vote. We don't vote for Christ. He is King. He doesn't need our vote. I would remind you if he needs anything, he's not God. He is God. Nature, the reality of who he is, the great Trinitarian Son. God from all ages appointed his Savior. Most of the the great monarchies of the world have uh, been overthrown, uh, toppled in France, for example, in England, uh, and the great monarchs are now constitutional monarchs in a parliamentarian form of government. Uh, we still have a monarch. It's Christ who is the eternal king, whose kingdom will have no end, Uh, running its course, gathering his people. I trust in his grace. He has gathered you. Uh, If not, you must deal with him because your destiny is in his hands and he alone can cure your spiritual condition, spiritual death. He alone. may God chase you to that reality till you come to recognize that he is uh, uh, king and savior. think something of this is, in the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, Philippians chapter one verse 21. Paul is so enraptured by who Christ is. He says, for me, to live is Christ. It means he is all consumed with advancing the message of Christ. Everything about him is Christ. From beginning to end is Christ. He even goes on, as you know, to say, and to die is gain. He'd much rather die because to die is to be with Christ. But if God permits him life, he will live to advance the message of King Messiah for me to live as Christ. Good application for each of us. I know we live for lots of things. Parents, you live for your children, rightfully so. Pretty soon, it's going to be football season. Many people live whatever your favorite team is. Learn to say with the Apostle Paul for me to live is Christ in light of who he is and what he has done. And it is this Christ through whom Paul has received grace and apostleship. Grace and apostleship. It's very interesting, uh, verse 5, in the ancient Near East, uh, the empire's... uh, ruled by emperors uh, and by an elite few in which the emperor had absolute authority and tolerated no dissent whatsoever. In fact, if you ever study them, uh, they were totally intolerant of dissent and they killed their enemies, oftentimes at whim. It's very interesting to recognize that not in the biography of the Apostle Paul, he was once an opponent of Jesus. He was in the opposition. He worked against the eternal King. And Jesus doesn't kill him. He conquers him and presses him into service in sovereign grace. It's also important for us to recognize that he conquered death in the kingdom of darkness and conquered our hearts to bring us unto himself. That's the work of a king of incredible, immeasurable power that he could invade your heart and conquer it in power. Remind you that he is a delightful and benevolent conqueror now. But someday those adjectives will fall away. He will come to conquer and make war. If you know not him as your savior, he is a delightful, he is a delightful king. He is a benevolent king of mercy and compassion. But again, some days those great, beautiful adjectives will fall away and he will come to wage war against all of those who have opposed him. And he will conquer them as well. And they will bend their knees and proclaim his name to their eternal detriment. And the purpose of Paul's call uh, really constitutes, again, another credential uh, to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. Obedience of faith. Uh, Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 16. Verse 26. Now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. His calling to go work to secure the obedience of faith among the Gentiles. That really will, I think, uh, be unraveled in much of the rest of of the epistle that we are about about to study. But I would remind you today there is a gospel that is uh, vacant obedience, not according to the Apostle Paul. And indeed, if that phrase establishes the very bookends of this entire epistle, it's reminding each of us there is an obedience of faith because kings require obedience. Thankfully, in our case, they also work it. Hence, uh, the great blessing of the gift of the Spirit. There's a gospel based upon the aspirations of the hearer. I hear that so oftentimes in our country. It's really based... Uh, for the glory of the king. Paul's Lord is to be seen as king, and kings are to be obeyed. It's not mean, of course, perfection, but rather the entirety of a life lived for Christ based upon who he is. Think momentarily back over these uh, verses, Paul's uh, credentials. He's a servant. He's called. He's set apart for the gospel so specified. There really are credentials here as well. Um, in terms of doctrinal succession, our credentials are the doctrines and the theology of the scriptures. Roman Catholic Church believes in apostolic succession. We believe in doctrinal succession. Very important difference. Striking difference. I'm not in the line of Peter. I'm in the line of the theology of Peter, the theology of Paul, and all of the prophets... A continuum of faith and theology that should be the credentials of all of us comes from God by His grace. Paul is also telling us that He's going to the Gentiles because it indicates that an Old Testament reality has begun in uh, the gospel going to the nations. And Paul qualifies uh, the Gentiles, the church at Rome, with the same divinity, verse 6, that pressed him into service. Again, Romans chapter 1, verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Beloved of God. Verse 7. And called saints. Uh, The calling uh, of God to us is, uh, in a measure, the same calling of the Apostle Paul marked out as an apostle. Uh, I don't believe that that office uh, continues any longer, but I do believe the calling does. Uh, Again, there's always some church that holds to a gift of uh, the apostles is continuing. I believe that uh, that's a misstatement. Uh, I believe, and again, in a apostolic succession in the sense of their theology and their doctrine. The office is of no concern to me. Their theology is, and that's what must continue. We are the called. Uh, If you know Jesus Christ, it's because uh, God called you eternally and efficaciously. Uh, In chapter 8, Paul says we are called uh, according to his purpose. Uh, This uh, this word is uh, cognate to the word that we refer to as the effectual call of God. It's an effectual call in the sense that uh, God calls people and his calling secures the very end for which he intends in the calling. Only God can do that. It speaks to the incredible power of God that, uh, that he begins to woo and to turn and bring us unto himself so that we respond to the call. Uh, In the words of uh, Turretin, the calling works within us, without us. Effectual call of God works without us because we have no power. Works within us because God is power. The very definition: God is all power, able to save. And think about the sovereign grace. If you know Jesus Christ, that he saved you. Saved you. Working within you. Without you. It is external in the Word of God, but also internal in the Spirit of God. Who comes in sovereign grace, enabling us to respond. So that we respond by irresistible Sovereign power. And we are called to Jesus in an allegiance and loyalty befitting who he is. And who is he? Eternal king. Ruling now. The throne of God. It's also interesting to me that uh, Paul says of us that we are beloved of God. Divine affection and satisfaction were set upon us in eternity past, worked in time, so that we are always the beloved of God. I find it so incredible in our culture that so many people are starved for love. We have God's love from eternity past. Think of the phrase, beloved of God. I know all of us different times in our life feel that perhaps no one loves us. Do you know the Savior? He loved you in eternity past. Dispatched His Son to purchase you. Who dispatched His Spirit to gather you. As a display of eternal love. So Incredible. That we have it in the sun. It's really an identifying marker. Uh, we should recognize who we are by divine power, beloved of God, based upon the sovereign good pleasure of His will. Lastly, uh, Paul states uh, one of our credentials, uh, we are called saints or holy. Engaging the reality that we too are set apart. Set apart by the Spirit uh, to do a parallel to what the Apostle Paul is doing, uh, namely to advance the kingdom of our beloved Savior. We're also called to be different. Changed by his power. And the resourcing and motivation are all from heaven. The greatest event of all time, the gift of the great eternal messianic king, who is now winning his people, dispatches his spirit to gather them, setting them apart to advance his kingdom. These are our credentials. Uh, doctrinal credentials, theological credentials. Perhaps on occasion some, some of you ask, well, um, what are the credentials of Grace Bible Church? Is there some accrediting agency that comes and says, uh, we, uh, we accredit you for one more year? Like my ISO 9001 certification. No, we are certified with the scriptures. Our credentials are here. That's why it's so important that we give ourselves to a ministry of biblical exposition, because of the display, continuum, over time. That our theology and our doctrine is apostolic. Again, to use, use the phrase, a doctrinal succession. And so the doctrine of Christ or Christology is a compelling reality that is defining of who we are. To me, it's one of the greatest of all credentials. Saints by calling, beloved of God from eternity past. In the great lurching throughout our culture of people trying to define themselves and have some measure of self-concept, ours comes from God. Sovereign power, beloved of the Savior. Savior. Uh, it owned Paul. It should own us. They are our credentials to the world of the nature of the God that we serve. That we live. Uh, we live for Him. And as we uh, as we uh, go through uh, this uh, great epistle, I believe uh, the greatest uh, doctrinal and theological expression of our faith in all of the scriptures. Uh, We will learn about God's righteousness. uh, External and then internal. uh, And a righteousness that will uh, vindicate us before uh, the world. uh, And I think compel us all the more. uh, Each and every day in a measure Uh, To say, oh God, by your sovereign power, help me this day and every day thereafter uh, to live uh, in light of the beauty of your righteousness and to serve and to live uh, for my uh, great and our great king, uh, to advance him and to live for him in light of all that he has done. Uh, for me and for each of us who name him his Savior.